0: This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? <laughs> the answer is yes.
2: Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, thanks for hanging out with the takeout. however you find this show, great radio stations across our country, Sirius XM, Potus Channel 124, of course CBS News streaming and all of our beloved early adopters on every podcast platform. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for vibing with us. Al Franken is our guest this week. He's been on the show before. When he was, he was a senator. Now he is on tour. And I want to give you the title of the tour in case you want to get tickets. The only former senator currently on tour, tour. So only Al Franken is... Former
3: U.S. senator currently on tour, former tour. Former
2: U.S. senator currently on tour, tour. I guess as there are probably so some state senators. Know.
3: Yeah, so far as, as we far know. As far as we know, yeah.
2: And Al's coming to us from New York City. Alice, good to see you. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you, Major. Great to be here.
2: So I want to get to the tour in a second, but the title says only former senator, U.S. senator currently US on senator. tour. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
3: Should, yeah.
2: Should, should you be a former U.S. senator?
3: Uh, no, <laughs> I should be a senator. But um, it, it what happened was just uh, something very odd at a certain moment. Uh, and, um, you know, I've had nine of my... Uh, former colleagues apologized to me publicly
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, for uh, not, I, all I wanted was due process, um, and uh, they came to recognize that, and um, I've had a few apologize to me, not publicly. I the, I haven't forgiven them. I've <laughs> forgiven the one I've done it publicly, but no, I, I should. I, I believe I should still be there, I and I believe if I got in due process, I would. You believe if
2: there had been due process and for our audience's benefit, that means an ethics committee review. Yeah. If there had been an ethics committee review, what do you think would have been disclosed?
3: Well, um, I I would just point people to uh, the only uh, investigative article that was done. And this is done by Jane Mayer in the New Yorker. And I think that, for example, one of the, uh, one of my former colleagues who apologizes Dick Durbin, he read the article and immediately after reading the article went down to the Capitol uh, and found the first Washington post reporter and went on record apologizing. And so I think I, I you know, it, I, I don't want to go through mm-hmm. each and every one of these, but I think if people go to uh, the New Yorker article Uh, they'll get some sense of of what this was.
2: Right. And yet in the New Yorker article, and I think in your expression since then, you still believe there was something you had to apologize for. You just don't believe the appropriate sanction was to force you into a resignation from your position in the United States Senate.
3: Well, understand what I've said is that uh, I've taken pictures with thousands of people. And I never was never, ever my intention, uh, to make anybody ever feel uncomfortable when, when this hit me, I am 66 years old. No one had ever <laughs> made an allegation of, of any of this sort. And, uh, so what I said is if I may, if I did something to make someone feel uncomfortable, I apologize for that. And that, then that's sincere, but, um, I, uh, that, that is, and I meant that. And, you know, when you take pictures, I I talked to a lot of my friends in show business. When we, when people take pictures with you, they, they want to look as intimate as possible. You know, they, they really, and um, I was just talking to David Axelrod the other day, Mm -hmm. and he said that, Remember, I uh, was saying he took a picture with a woman who later became ambassador to something with, with uh, she was taking a picture with President Obama. And right at the time they took the picture, she kissed him on the lips. And uh, Axel just said, Reggie, get rid of that picture. <laughs> right. And right. And uh, so.
2: And for the audience's benefit, Reggie is Reggie Love, yeah. body man to President Obama, who I got to know very well during the 2007-2008 campaign. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk, I want to switch subjects a little bit. But one last thing on this. Do you believe in our current political environment due process is
3: even possible? I think it's more possible now. Um, remember, that was, that, that, there's a reason for that timing. It was right. Sure. after harvey weinstein and so
2: and roy moore and the senate race and the roy all moore of these and the things ra- everything came and democrats didn't want to look as if they were excusing you while prosecuting in a very political rhetorical way roy moore yep all of the, all of those
3: things combined yep exactly thanks for remembering
2: <laughs> it's 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 we're, we're, we're just dancing down memory lane now but here's here's a broader question here's a broader question because you're on tour the only former u.s senator currently on tour tour i looked at some of the dates there are many college towns there bill maher did a thing on his show recently it's a running bit but he had a little bit of more editorial bite in it this most recent time explaining jokes to idiots <laughs> yeah and he said in woke america cancel culture not only is real but it has begun to infect college co- campuses in the way colleges interpret and deal with humor and one of his lines it was a good line was college used to be where kids went to lose their virginity now they go there to lose their sense of humor
3: <laughs> yeah agree or disagree uh, there is some of that um and There's enough of it that I think it has a chilling effect on comedy. Uh, I know a lot of standups who won't go to colleges. Really? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They just won't. And it's, you know, the comedians. And and what what are they afraid of? Well, the comedians that I always that I grew up admiring were Mm -hmm. uh, people like Lenny Bruce and Mm -hmm. George Carlin and Dick Gregory. um, People who were uh, would use would explore the edge of offending people. And uh, that was people, I think, understood that then. And that that was that was a positive thing uh, and it made people think about what, you know, it made people think in a different way. It was it was satire. And,
2: and, and, and look, let's <laughs> let's let let's, let's not forget both Lenny Bruce, Dick Gregory and George Carlin in, encountered corporate backlash, in some case, misdemeanor criminal backlash. But the most receptive people were the young audiences who were hungry to hear counterculture Comedy. Bill Maher's point is that's less true now.
3: Oh my God! Well, yeah, and I think again, it is. You know, all you need is a, a small percentage of of people on campus to cause a stink or a ruckus, and uh, and so it doesn't. We're not talking about necessarily ninety five percent of students, right? You know, and so it's just. I think it's too bad. And uh, this was, this was kind of the role of satire, right? I'm one of of the, it's funny, one of the, um, in high school, I remember uh, going on a first date with a girl I really liked. And I took her to see Dick Gregory. And (laughs) it was the wrong, (laughs) the wrong choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But um, uh, it, it, to me, th- there was always that value. And, you know, part of your job is to explore that area. And part of what you do, like part of what Bill does and a lot of great comedians do is explore those areas. And very often it sheds light on stuff that that you know that most politicians don't usually do
2: (laughs) right i mean it's meant it's meant to be jarring it's sometimes right next to tragedy and those sort of things live in an uncomfortable space which is what satire is meant to be more of our conversation with al franken on the other side of the break i'm major garrett this is the takeout
1: From CBS
0: News. This is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Al Franken is our guest. Um, Al, I've spent a lot of time on the show in the recent weeks, understandably, talking about Ukraine. We'll get back to lighter topics in a second, but you were in the United States Senate. You were a forceful voice on many issues. Every guest that I have on the show. Ever since Russia invaded Ukraine, I bring up the topic. Sometimes we devote the entire show to that. But every guest, even those not directly related, I bring the topic up. I want your thoughts on Ukraine. What do you think the stakes are for the U.S.? And if you think either President Biden is doing enough or the U.S. Congress is doing enough.
3: You know, I, I, I think Biden is doing about as much as he can. I think he did an amazing job uh, putting this coalition together. Um, I think that he took some risks uh, in doing that. He released uh, some of our intelligence very early, earlier than you usually do, uh, saying that they're going to invade. And he did that early enough so that um, they were able to start putting sanctions together. It takes a while to put sanctions together. And uh, so by the time the the invasion started they were they had a a package of sanctions in place uh it took a while to to get everybody to agree to er everything and uh this it's evolved but i think he's done a a terrific job now he's had to make the judgment of taking putin's nuclear putting the uh, nuclear arsenal on high alert he had to take that seriously is you know this is like the madman theory remember nixon mm-hmm. uh sure. <laughs> you know kissinger went to ho chi minh and goes, "But nixon's crazy he might use nuclear weapons you know and um i i would putin use nuclear weapons i don't think so but um if there's a 2% chance do you can you do a no fly zone and so He may be criticized for that, but uh, they've been ramping up and uh, it's my
2: it's my theory, Al, that the biggest story of twenty twenty two, whatever happens in the midterms will not be the midterms, whether they go for all Republicans. And we'll get to that in a second or not, but will be whatever does or does not succeed from Russia's point of view or Ukraine's point of view in that particular battlefield. That will be the story of this year. And it will have implications for many, many years,
3: if not decades to come. That's my theory. I think it's a pretty sound theory. It may actually affect the midterms, though. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, right now it look it's looking bad the midterms for Democrats. But uh, my argument to Democrats, especially, is that there's a lot of time to go before November. Uh, June, in June, a couple of things are going to happen. One, we're going to have the hearings uh, on the January 6th Select Committee. Uh, Jamie Raskin just said it's gonna blow the roof off the house. I think people uh, Americans uh, I I have this uh, little secret uh, they like television and the hearings will be on television. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of that medium I have some familiarity with yeah uh, and uh, I think there's gonna be um, some pretty powerful stuff and I, I I do think that Americans you know, the Republican party has just become this anti-democratic party. And I, I, I think people will look at that and go like, Hmm. And also in June, uh, the, the this term of the Supreme court will end and they're going to get, they're going to end Roe v. Wade and mm-hmm. by two to one Americans, uh, favor Roe v. Wade support Roe v. Wade. Uh, so I think, and then as far as Ukraine, um there's stuff there's stuff that happens that you don't know necessarily whether or not it's going to happen but if developments there i mean ukraine zelensky has been amazing the ukraine people have been amazing the ukrainians uh you could kind of see this coming since 2014 uh but my goodness the, the it's it's so inspiring what they're doing and it yeah it's it's awful to watch it is awful to watch and mm-hmm. you know i mean i i and you can
0: tell
2: in the country now people want to begin to turn away because they're not really sure what the trajectory of this is going to ultimately be and they hear the president say there's not going to be ground forces the country in general supports that and they wonder do I have to keep watching civilians get slaughtered and there doesn't seem to be any other recourse. That's where it seems this narrative or this story is right now.
3: That's where it is right now and you know, I mean things can happen. Um my my hope is that one day we learn that Putin was garroted. <laughs> well, okay then. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay. I don't think they let me close. to you know, who could do it is Tucker. You're not going to change your tour dates to make room for that. No, I, I'm sure they wouldn't let me there. But Tucker Carlson could probably get invited to the Kremlin and garrot him. <laughs> and
2: so I was listening to your podcast, by the way. Uh, Al Franken has a very successful podcast Uh I believe the terminology, this is a SAT word, Al, eponymous, the Al Franken podcast. That's right. Michael, Lu- Michael Lewis was on recently, the brilliant best-selling author, Michael Lewis. And you opened by saying how you wish you were in the Senate and how you wish you had been there. Because if I heard you correctly, you thought Democrats were insufficiently aggressive or pointed in dealing with some of the issues Republican senators raised with Ketanji Brown Jackson.
3: Yeah, that's, that's what, would you, what
2: would you have done had you been there?
3: Well, I I actually kind of would have challenged them on a number of fronts. Um, One of which, I mean, Holly, Josh, Holly, Josh, Holly, you know, had been misleading to the point of demagoguery, according to the National Review. (laughs) And and what's weird about it is he was called out on that before the hearing started, but he didn't back off it. He just did the same thing. And it would have been nice, I think, if uh, someone on our side just just called them on it. I mean, there are places where there's one in in, in particular. This is very where in a um, she was on the sentencing commission, right? And it was on. I, I think this is where it was. It was on on people who had these images of child pornography and she's getting testimony from somebody and somebody said, well, people have this, aren't necessarily pedophiles. And she kind of in her questioning to him, to that, when it says, so, so people who have this in their possession aren't, aren't necessarily pedophiles question mark, but Holly made it like her statement. <laughs> and and it was it was even in articles about this before Holly started his statement. So it was pointed out that this is dishonest
2: and a mischaracterization, an intentional
3: mischaracterization, intentional mischaracterization. So um, I get 30 minutes. <laughs> you know, I'm I, I go like, um, geez, Senator Holly uh, here, let me. Uh, read from these things and you just did it again. And don't you, uh, you know, don't you feel shame? And, and Cruz was doing this thing. Like, do you really think there are racist babies? And, and it was from a book called anti-racist baby. And of course that was deliberately misunderstanding what the whole book is about, which is that, uh, At very early ages, you get signals from your parents and people around you. And, yeah, a baby, according to the CDC, (laughs) is from birth to three. And, yeah, there are are little kids who pick up. And and this is a lot of it is unconscious. And the whole point of anti-racism And that which is very legitimate is for people to go like, oh, yeah, I have racist attitudes and they're unconscious and I should be aware of them. And what I shouldn't do is pass them on to my kids. And boy, that's a legitimate thing. And no one would say to him. You know, the CDC said, are are, are there three year old? Three year olds that have, have internalized some racist signals. That is the
2: voice of Al Frank, and more of our conversation on segment three of the Takeout in just one second.
1: This podcast is supported by FedEx. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
0: From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett.
2: Welcome back to The Takeout. Al Franken is our guest. Al Franken, you might have read us something about this. Twitter is now owned by Elon Musk. Are you afraid of that? Will you stay there? Do you have any progressive anxiety about that?
3: I, I actually, as soon as that happened, I tweeted, "You know who's great at Elon Musk?" <laughs> or I, and it was so funny because I had a lot of people going, "Really, Al?" And then, uh, then I would have an answer to that person going, "He's being sarcastic," and then, <laughs> and you know, and I was just. Back to where we started explaining jokes to a, the uh, humor impaired. And evidently, Elon Musk saw it and said, I don't know if he's being sarcastic or not. So at least he <laughs> knew that it was up in the air. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. I don't think it's probably a great thing. But, you know, uh, a lot of there'll be a lot of uh, people watching it. And uh Will you change your Twitter habits at all? No. <laughs> okay. No.
2: And, and this gets sort Elon of back Musk to our, our the conversation time. about... That's all <laughs> all. The, all the time. This gets back to our conversation about the bandwidth for comedy, what satire does, pushing boundaries. Elon Musk says Twitter should be a place where free speech is protected. Now, there's a distinction I think a lot of Americans miss, that if it's a private company... It's not covered by the First Amendment. It has no obligation under law to be a free speech police or provider. It is what it is. And you can participate or not as you choose, as you interact with a private company. But when you hear Elon Musk say, I want this to be a vigorous free speech place, how do you interpret that? Well, this gets down to... Do you interpret that as a a green flag to Trumpian uh, free speech? Uh,
3: no, uh, I I don't think so. I think you know there's Section 230, which was uh, mm-hmm. what the uh, Internet Decency Act or something from Communications, uh, Communications Decency Act, DC yep, Act, uh, and basically said that they're platforms and uh, not publishers, right? So that social media Correct. platforms uh, can't be held a hugely important legal distinction, hugely. And, and you, this is right at the dawn of all this stuff. And you can understand mm-hmm. why yes. they did that. It was to, to protect, uh, you know, to, to let uh, people say stuff and, and not be censored and, and to protect them as the platforms. I think we've learned a lot since then. <laughs> and, and uh, we have a problem with, Uh, disinformation. I wrote this book, uh, Rush Limbaugh is a big fat idiot and other observations uh, back in uh, 1995. And then I wrote uh, lies and lying liars who tell them a fair and balanced look at the right about Fox. And uh, that was in uh, 2003. And these were about uh, that that the right wing was putting out a lot of disinformation. And that that was dangerous. Now, I don't know what's happened with that. Uh, but, it, I, I you know, Facebook, they have these algorithms, right? Uh, mm-hmm. everyone, everyone has, has algorithms. algorithms yep. But Facebook's whole thing is to keep you on, right? And its, yep. it's algorithms are a form of AI. And mm-hmm. they know every choice you've ever made. And so they know you better than you know you. And so they know what will keep you on. And a lot of people being agitated keeps them on. So they send them stuff that agitates them. So when they say we have no control over what they get, they have total control over what you get. And so. Right. And one of the things that Elon Musk has said is that he
2: now that he owns Twitter is going to transparently disclose Twitter's algorithms.
3: That might be helpful. Yeah, I guess I I don't know how you disclose algorithms. I guess someone understands algorithms can crunch algorithms. I, I don't right, think exactly. I'll be doing that work, but um, but this this leads me to another the question. Thing is that people? Because you just, mentioned you, that you you can't have, you can't yell fire in a in a crowded movie. No, here. understood.
2: And I'm glad you mentioned the two books you mentioned with both incendiary titles, borderline insulting to the audience that is receptive to what you're criticizing. And I wonder if you think that there is any obligation in public discourse, in particular for someone in public office, to persuade, or are we in a harangue culture? Meaning, if you call someone a liar, and someone who likes that person you're calling a liar, you're by implication calling them a dupe or a fool or a knave, does that create any space for persuasion? And do you think that we have lost our ability to study the art of
3: persuasion? Well, <clears throat> um, both of those titles were satirical and yes. uh, were. But you also meant them. Yeah, uh, you can mean satire. Of course. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, so, but they were uh and and i know that people have come up to me on both those books and others i've done and said that it changed it it, it made a difference in how they saw things and mm-hmm. um that was that that's the point of satire and right uh to me both those books are really funny and yeah yeah and they enjoyable are. and and just fun to read and that's what I, you know, it was, uh, it's like candy, you know, it was just like fun to read. And, but on the other hand, very persuasive. And I, uh, I, I know that a lot of people come up to me and said, I got into politics because of that book. I got into politics with this book. Mm -hmm. And I think I was identifying something that's really important. And, um, I, I I like to think I'm a skillful writer, (laughs) (laughs) no doubt and that i was very persuasive and that it was a positive now when i was senator did i um call my colleagues idiots uh no
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, except maybe ted cruz i don't know he's not an idiot Uh, he's very smart no He's very, very smart, He and, and he knows and he knows so much better than he, I do. Uh, presents. In my show. Uh, I
3: have a whole Ted Cruz section. You know, I have mm-hmm. said that I probably liked Ted Cruz more than most of my colleagues like Ted Cruz, and I hate Ted Cruz. <laughs> yes, yes. And this goes back to what we were talking
2: about a minute ago when you were talking about Senator Josh Hawley, who was criticized before the hearings. Didn't take that criticism on board, <laughs> but repeated right. it, and that <laughs> that 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 seems symptomatic to me of the validity and the political throw weight of demagoguery that are in our current politics. There is an incentive structure, even when criticized, even when criticized by your own side, to stick with it, because Josh Hawley also is not stupid. No. Josh Hawley knows what he's doing and knows why he's doing it, and the incentive structure doesn't seem to me to discourage demagoguery, perhaps in the way I romanticize it did when I first started covering Congress in the early '90s.
3: I agree with every every word you you
2: say. You know, and what is is that something that needs to be remedied, or should be remedied, or is it just a reality that we are stuck with?
3: Well, uh, you know, I don't know. I try. Uh, to, uh this is some of the stuff i point out in in my my show and on my podcast i i still uh use humor and obviously uh in the tour it's it's i'm doing stand up comedy by the way and it's it's, mm-hmm. been, it's all it's funny there's there's a satirical aspect to it That's, that's what i do and uh, i do it on uh, and on the pa- podcast as well um but I I don't know. It's we're in a terrible state. We really are. I mean, what you saw during that hearing, I I, I thought it was atrocious, and I thought it was atrocious on, you know, some uh, Lindsay was a friend of mine when I was there. I I don't quite understand where he's gone. Uh, Cruz is <laughs> uh, uh Holly is. Uh, you know, his own version of awful and uh, and cotton it's terrible. And then there was Blackburn, who that was a different vector of. Right. And and in general, you wish Democrats
2: had been a little bit more aggressive. Back for segment four of The Takeout with Al Frank and our special guest, I Major Garrett. Just one minute. We'll be back.
0: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible From CBS News, this is the Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Welcome back, Al Franken is our guest. Al, do you think President Biden will run for re-election, and do you think he ought to?
3: Um, I think if he's, uh, I think if he's feeling good, I, you know, th- this whole thing about, uh, uh, you know, I, I noticed that his his walk is a little stiff. And I asked about this uh, to a doctor and they said, yeah, when you get that age, your ligaments <laughs> are flexible. And I went like, okay, that's no reason not to be president. <laughs> you know, not a yeah. disqualifier. I mean, FDR was pretty good president. Yeah. Uh, and yes. he, uh, he basically couldn't walk at all. And so mm-hmm. I, uh, I I think it's just up to him, and uh, you know we'll see how he feels about it in in two years. He says he is, and um, mm-hmm. also, you know it it just look at where Reagan was this at this point in his presidency. He was really mm-hmm. underwater, and so yep. it, many a slip twixt cup and lip, as we say, mm-hmm. and.
2: Back to our earlier reference you made to how you think June could be a very important and possibly pivotal month in terms of the midterms. Is that your essential message to Democrats? You don't need to worry no. or <laughs> you should worry and prepare. <laughs> wait, just wait for June. Or do you think there should be things Democrats should be doing now? And if so, what?
3: I, I think we should be working as hard as we can to get our message out part of the part of the message is that an election is um not a referendum but a choice and look what the choice is the choice is the republicans look at rick scott's 11 point plan he wants to raise taxes on who the lowest 50, 50% of income earners in the country. He wants, he says, everybody should pay income taxes. well, there are a lot of people that have some skin in the game. Exactly. He would say that's yeah. what he said. Well, you're talking about people. there people don't pay income taxes and it's by design, <laughs> which is we've raised the standard deduction so that, a lot of working Americans don't pay any income taxes. actually one of the things in the Trump tax cut, one of the good things was they raised the standard deduction. So he wants to raise taxes, not on billionaires. I mean, he's also the richest guy in the Senate. (laughs) He's worth over $200 million. Raise taxes on him? No. Now Americans... And this includes Republicans want to raise taxes on, on, on the wealthy. They do. And, and I think the Republican party has become much more anti uh, elite, anti wall street, anti uh, corporate. I, 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 a large majority of Americans want to see increases in taxes and, Uh, for for those at the top, but he is the chairman of the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee, and he (laughs) wants to raise taxes on the lowest income earners in America. So I think we should point that out, and I think that would be a good thing mm
2: -hmm. to point out politically. Uh, Democrats have every uh, opportunity to do so. This brings us to a larger question I want to raise for you because... As you talk about that economic plan for Senator Scott, which Mitch McConnell doesn't agree with, but it's still out there. It's still a very important part of the He's conversation. He's the chairman of their I, 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 Yes, think. yes, yes, exactly. Uh, it seems to me one of the strains in American politics, and there are many right now, is on the left you have economic populism. On the right you have mm. cultural populism. Cultural populism manifest in state legislatures across the country with various abortion laws, LGBTQ laws, things about critical race theory. And populism isn't an ideology so much as a kind of approach that is, I know better or I know what's best for you. And on the left, it's economic populism. On the right, it seems to me, cultural populism. Agree or disagree?
3: I, I think there is a lot of that. I'm I'm wondering if there isn't going to be a backlash to that. Because I, I, to the cultural populism, well, to this thing like book banning and book burning. Like, I mean, I, I, for example, remember they're gonna burn beloved, <laughs> okay? Uh, this is a Toni Morrison, uh, Pulitzer mm-hmm. Prize winning book from a Nobel Prize winning author, was taught in AP English. <laughs> to uh, seniors in Virginia high school. And uh, it was about uh, these women who had been slaves and they uh, post slavery, but uh, post civil war, but they flashback to all this trauma, including being raped. And, and mm-hmm. so uh, they're going like, there's violent sex in this, this is pornography. And so the, Uh, Well, that, you know, that kind of happened during slavery, but so the school board wanted to do a book burning and I saw, I don't know if you saw this. They had a, they had like a town meeting on this at the, at the, with the book board, uh, the school board and a guy got up and said, like, my son gets plenty of pornography at home on his iPad. School is supposed to be a break. In the pornography, I missed that. I'm, uh,
2: <laughs> I didn't know you were such an avid viewer of school school
3: board meetings. Uh, uh, I got sent the clip, <laughs> but I mean, I think that you know, in this idea of like, okay, like in in Florida, but the point is, you you believe that there will be a a, a political. I think there'll be a backlash to, to cultural like population. Being able to sue a teacher for making Terry McAuliffe will tell you it didn't happen in time in Virginia's governor's. No, race. well, he blew it by saying parents shouldn't have any say over what the kids. That's was that was dumb. Uh, but youngkin was lying. That's another thing. You shouldn't li- shouldn't be able to lie, and you should call him out on it. We- Critical race theory is not taught in uh, Virginia public schools. So when you say on day one, when I'm governor, teaching critical race theory in Virginia public schools stops, it's not taught, and you can't lie. Just say that. You 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 were head of what what was the what was he head of uh, some a huge car, Carlisle, or what? what's the, uh, yeah. 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 They do research there. They know how to research things. They don't teach critical race theory. They teach critical race theory in graduate school and law school. That's where it's taught. Nice. It's not taught, you know, to kindergartners. It, 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 and
2: you know, the, I, he might, that's, that is the voice of Al Franken. He might've been Terry McAuliffe's campaign manager, but sadly for Terry McAuliffe, he wasn't. Uh, That concludes our version of this program for our radio audience. We need to say farewell for our CBS News streaming audience and those on our beloved podcast platform. Stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week.
1: Okay, it's
0: time to commit.
2: Get 80% off your impression
0: kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett.
2: Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett coming to you from our home office. That's meanings my office in the CBS Bureau Washington, D.C. Al Franken is joining us, continuing our conversation. He's up in New York City. So Al, on this tour... The only former U.S. senator currently on tour tour. How long did you take to prepare? And is this all new stuff?
3: Well, that's a really uh, those are good questions. Um, I uh, before the pandemic, I was going around and giving what I would call speeches. And uh, (laughs) and and I speeches uh, They were speeches because I had a podium. But a lot of it was (laughs) was funny. I mean a lot of it. I'm a, I'm a comedian and so and gradually as I was doing the speeches it became more stand y but I was still behind a mm-hmm. podium and I still had notes and I said that's not stand-up that's a speech. Okay? Right. A speech yeah. with funny. Right. So then uh then of course that stopped like that uh, with the pandemic and then as we were uh started to come out of the pandemic we are where we had the vaccine, I said, okay, mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, I want to do standup. I want to actually, I want to, I love standup comedians. I admire stand-up. So I started going down to the comedy cellar uh, in Greenwich village, which is one of the great comedy clubs. Yep. yep. And I would do like three nights a week uh, do like 25 minutes, a half hour something like that and um, start working up an act. And uh, mm-hmm. eventually I felt confident enough that I could go out and do it as a, a just do an hour plus of standup. And so right. that's what I did. And, and um, that's how I, I developed it. And it was interesting because the, the seller, uh, the comedy seller, great, great club. It's uh, a younger crowd. And and the crowd that comes mm-hmm. see me is a little older, and also a little right. bit more political than pe- people right. coming to the comedy cellar uh, are coming there to see stand up comedy, and they're not yep. coming to see political stand up comedy. They're not, you know, as some of them are sophisticated politically, some are not at all. So uh, I had to figure out. I started doing some venues that had a little bit more politically hip uh, audiences. And then I started, I just started doing it and mm-hmm. it's, it, it's been great. I love it.
2: Do you write any jokes about Democrats?
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. I have some, <laughs> I I do. I spent a lot of time on my uh, experience in the Senate and there are some, some right. Democrats I, I I do talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh,
2: okay. And as you, as you go around, uh, some comedians, do notebooking and journaling while they're on tour and they add things as they go is your set pretty much established and you keep it that way and work on it later on the other side of the tour or do you evolve it as you go through the tour
3: well you kind of i mean a lot of what i do is topical um right so it's driven a little bit by the news yeah i mean for example we're at war or uh, there's a war in Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's it's hard to find the funny in that. But um, I found it. And it's Tucker Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, it's just that Tucker, you know, like I, it was like the day before the invasion went on his show and said, you know, Democrats tell us we should hate Putin. But why? I mean. As, has Putin ever called me a racist? Has, has uh, Putin uh, sh- you know, shipped our middle-class jobs to Russia? Uh, has, has Putin tried to cancel Christianity? And I thought to myself, you know, he's right. Putin hasn't done any of that. And yet I hate Tucker so much. And I was thinking, why do I hate Tucker? I mean, has Tucker ever, you know, poisoned political enemies with a deadly nerve agent? No. Mm -hmm. Has he indiscriminately bombed civilians with cluster bombs at maternity hospitals and children's hospitals? No, Tucker hasn't done that. Has he committed atrocities and killed hundreds of children. No, Tucker hasn't done any of that. And yet I hate Tucker so much. There must be something wrong with me. Mm. And then I just. (laughs) It just drives me friggin crazy. This apologies for Putin. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, so it's a little dark, but um, that's okay it gets there it
2: gets there let me ask you is any part of your tour again the only former u.s senator currently on tour tour a prelude to another run for office
3: uh no it, i wouldn't it doesn't mean i won't ever run for office again but the tour isn't a prelude <laughs> <laughs> okay okay are are you are you and i know and i know all i know all the i,
2: I know all the off-ramps here because uh, i've engaged in these off ramps for most of my life as a political journalist, so I know what they are, but are you actively considering running again? Do you want to, do you want to get back in public
3: life? Uh, well, I consider myself in public life uh, with the podcast and with, with what I'm doing, but yeah, I really do miss the Senate. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as we were talking about, I was very frustrated during the, uh, during the, the hearings. I always, I really enjoyed uh, especially judiciary hearings, um, but all of them, you know, are, and I mm-hmm. thought I was a pretty good questioner. I, I, I talk about the. Same. I was on judiciary. Obviously, I, I was not a law. Jeff
2: Sessions will never forget your questions. I can tell you that.
3: Yeah, it's odd that Jeff kind of stepped in it himself. I mean, I didn't ask him, did you meet with any Russians? I just said, Would you recuse yourself if, you know, on a Russian investigation? And then he said, I didn't meet with them. And okay, Uh, so I, I, you know. And then things
2: unfolded rather dramatically. Yes, indeed. Yeah, Al, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, Again, the tour, the only former U.S. senator currently on tour tour. Check it out on the website. What is it, Al? Uh, The website is alfranken.com alfranken.com. Easy to remember, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Major Garrett. This has been The Takeout. Al, thanks so much for hanging out with Thank us. Thank you, Mar-
3: uh, Major. Marriage. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> can we try that again? <laughs> no, we're keeping it. We're keeping, Garland. it. we're keeping it. Uh, it's a pleasure <laughs> talking to you, Mr. Attorney General. Yes. Uh, trust me, Al, I've been called worse. The Takeout is
0: produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, And Ashley Armstrong, CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News.
2: If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.
0: early and ad-free on
2: Wondery Plus.